It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro here in the front row once again. And as always, behind the scenes, it is J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. Up to episode number 23, and it's March Madness as well. And a guy that was in the center of March Madness almost 40 years ago, Derek Wittenberg, is our guest here in episode 23. Yes, he starred on the Cardiac Pack team back in 1983 that cut down the Nets. A crazy season for them, survive and advance, and they did that as they beat Houston back in 1983. We'll talk to him about that run, about his coaches, Morgan Wooten in high school, and obviously Jimmy V, Jim Valvano at NC State. Plus his coaching days and what he's doing now as an executive producer and a great documentary that he was a part of profiling the ACC tournament. All that straight ahead, some great stories. Don't miss it. Episode 23 featuring Derek Wittenberg. Well, Derek, first of all, thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, this is uh, obviously a great time, a time for you that brings up a lot of memories, I'm sure, with the Final Four right around the corner and and the NCAA tournament underway. And uh, can't thank you enough for, for spending a little time with us here today. Well, thank you. It's always a special time. Uh, you know, March Madness, but April, it's here, championship time. So uh, uh, most probably most watched sporting uh, event in the world right now. So uh, it's going to be very exciting. And don't forget the women's tournament has been outstanding as well. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to watch all the games. Yeah, college basketball is certainly uh, on a high right now. And we're going to dive into that, dive into your role uh, with March Madness. Uh, but before that, I want to get into – you and, and how you started. You're born in Maryland back in 1960. Uh, how much was basketball a focus, or was it just all sports as a focus back then growing up? Well, growing up in Washington, D.C., uh, in the playgrounds, you know, we kind of played all sports, and uh, and then we made uh, a really pivotal move after uh, the assassination of Martin Luther King in Washington, D.C., I found me move out to the suburbs of Prince George's County. And uh, that's where my uh, sports career uh, really kicked off and played in a boys club and you know played all three sports and uh, really enjoyed um, all three. Uh, my best sport was baseball and football and basketball was kind of third. And, and as I progressed in a teenager, teenager, I really became uh, better at basketball and decided to to go to Dematha High School, and that's when everything uh, went went to another level. It's it's crazy. It seems like everyone that we've talked to on this podcast that the other sports were their favorite, and then they finally maybe was their their body you know met them up and and they they fit into the sport that they eventually excelled in. Was that it for you? Like you said, basketball at one point was your third sport, but it became the sport that you excelled in. Yeah, it was very popular uh, in my neighborhood. I mean, baseball was somewhat popular. Football was popular, obviously. But uh, basketball was a sport that, uh, quite frankly, financially, all you need is one ball and you needed a hoop, you know, one or two hoops. And then, you know, you could get 10 people playing. So uh, it was very popular. And uh, I just got better at it, started to practice more and learn more, especially from some of the older players in the neighborhood. And then we had the recreation center. So I'd start off at Leonard Woods uh, Recreation Center, played there and got in the boys club and played there. And then all of a sudden, uh, 
you know, I was good enough to to have an opportunity to play at Dematha High School, which was uh, wow, which was a really great opportunity for me. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, great program because of a great coach there, Morgan Wooten, there for forty six years. Passed away uh, last couple of years, but what kind of influence did he have on your game and you as an individual as well? He taught me how to be a champion. Uh, taught me how to be a champion both in life and on the court and uh, talked us about the process of being successful and how to be a good teammate, uh, how to be a good leader, uh, how to uh, surround yourself with good people. So the intangibles and tangible traits and characteristics and things that Morgan taught us, really, I, I hold true to myself today and I try to teach young people today uh what, what what's important and uh and, and morgan really honed in on what's what's more important than just being the, the best basketball player you win or winning games but he taught you how to be a better person and i think that was uh, the thing i enjoyed about uh my association with morgan as a player and a coach well you won a lot of games too because sydney lowe was uh, with you in the backcourt as well so that started a, a lifelong relationship, I would think, with Sidney Lowe as well. What was it like playing with him and winning as much as you were during those days at the Matha? Well, what a tremendous um, teammate and uh, player Sidney was. He, he was the best uh, in our class uh, in the Washington, D.C. area, and I was tapped as the best uh, player in the Maryland area. And we both ended up going to DeMatha High School. And who, who would figure that? And uh, uh, Sydney, from day one, we played pickup. First day we came into math and, ne and never turned back. We only lost seven games in high school. And uh, so we came to NC State uh, all the way with the, <coughs> the pedigree. We came with uh, the character. Uh, we came with the vision that all things are possible. And so we won a national championship in high school, 1978, and went undefeated. And then uh, he went to NC State with the idea that, you know, not just winning the championship, but for, for me especially, to be a first-generation graduate and, and the first in my family to receive a major scholarship to a major school was, was a big deal, more than the NBA back then. And uh, obviously we had aspirations to go to the NBA, but uh, to me, uh, going to NC State, my number one choice, I told that to the team last year. It was my number one choice. Because of my cousin, David Thompson, I wanted to go to NC State. And uh, and uh, to get a degree there, uh, to win a national championship there, to get a hole-in-one on Lonnie Poole, and to meet my wife-to-be for 35 years, I think I had a pretty nice run at NC State. Yeah, I, I would say so. That's a lot of checks off uh, in your career there, certainly uh, – I'm sure your wife was at the high level there for you as well. Uh, so you, you said, you know, again, David Thompson, one of the, the best ever at NC State, wins a national championship in 1974. How closely did you follow that growing up? Oh, I followed very closely. You know, it was Raycom Sports and that Saturday morning uh, game of the week at ACC and watching that that little crazy man with the checkered jacket, uh, Norm Sloan, Storm and Norman, as we call him. And my parents loved him. I loved his fire and loved his passion for the game. Very competitive. 
But I watched my cousin on that national TV game when he was a sophomore get 28 points against Maryland. And, uh, man, I could all, I could relive that game for years. And, uh, I said, that's where I want to be. I want to be at NC state. <clears throat> and thanks to David Thompson and, and Monty Tao yeah. who recruited me number 25, uh, I, Shows NC State. Well, tell us about that recruiting process. As you said, Norm Sloan was the coach at the time, again, coming off of uh, the national championship. How did that recruiting go for you? Because obviously recruiting back in the 70s, a lot different than it is here in the, you know 2022. Well, I was I was considered highly recruited. I played in both McDonald's All-American game, uh, the one in Washington, D.C., one in Charlotte. By the way, I won. Uh, both games, uh, I made the winning shot to to beat the U.S. team in D.C., and I made the winning shot uh, to beat the uh, the West team uh, in Charlotte. And uh, so I was considered highly recruited. The, the 1979 class is tapped as the best class in the history of basketball. I think we have six six guys that's in the top 75 in the history of the game. And you're talking about Isaiah Thomas, James Worthy, Dominic Wilkins, Ralph Sampson. Uh, you know, I, Isaiah, we had a great class. And uh, so I thought I was highly recruited. I was uh, targeted heavily by Rutgers and Penn State and NC State, of course, and several other schools. And uh, uh, I just, in my heart, I wanted to go to NC State. <clears throat> well, you go there, you, you do play for, for Sloan, but only for a year. He decides to go to Florida. So, so what's going through your mind at the time? Still young in your career, at the time not knowing who was going to come in. And I, 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 watching some different things, I know you wanted your high school coach Morgan Wooten to take over at NC State. That didn't happen. So, what's going through your mind as a young player at that time? Uh, really, I didn't have a thought about really leaving. My roommate was Phil Weber, <coughs> who was in the pros. For a great deal of time, and he transferred to Florida. There was mention of it, but I never thought about leaving uh, per se. I was just waiting to see who the next coach was because uh, a lot of times you choose a school for the coach, and I think I chose a school for the coach and the school and the program. And, uh, and so I was waiting for to see who the next coach would be. And instantly, when Valvano walked in the room, I said, man, I ain't going nowhere. I, I, I like this guy from from day one, liked his spirit, uh, loved his energy, and uh, felt like uh, he was the guy. So uh, I ended up staying. But at the same time, you thought he was a little crazy, though, especially when you saw his shtick and the, the press conference to open up. You thought he was a little different. Well, you know, I, I've been with traditional coaches, you know, Morgan Wooten and my boys club coaches and <clears throat> they were all tough, stern coaches and they never told jokes. They never smiled, you know. So Bavado comes in telling jokes and smile and hanging around and, you know, so he was different. And so I thought, well, you know, he may be a little fun. He's not a traditional coach, but, you know, hey, I like this guy. So, uh, and the more we he grew on us, the more we got to know him, that that he was a passionate competitor and a guy that came to NC State to win the national championship. And uh, that's 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 telling uh, a guy from New York having that kind of vision and 
and wanted to be and, and himself wanted to be there at NC State. I thought that was important. Junior year, 1981-82, you were second team all-conference. Did you see the program and this team kind of building toward what happened the, the year after then in 1983? Well, uh, if Jim's first year, we barely 500. His second year, we lost to Chattanooga in that first round in that game with the lights. The lights went out and we waited two hours and and uh, Dominic Wilkins' uh, brother, Gerald Wilkins, was a great player. We had, we knew nothing about him, and uh, he kicked our butts. And uh, and we were looking at his third year, which they was getting ready to hang Jim. Right? They thought that Jim was talking national championship, but you know, what? Why did this guy not win it? Why are we not in the national championship? This is third year. So we, you know, our senior year, we thought time was running out. North Carolina had won the championship in 82, the year we got knocked out in the first round. So added pressure to us. And uh, so, but the focus was still the same, that we wanted to win the ACC tournament, win the national championship, and then we're going to stay the course. This is our last year to do it is 1983. Yeah, 82-83. And you talk about, you know, the talent in your class, 82-83, North Carolina had Michael Jordan. Virginia had Ralph Sampson. I mean, this was a loaded ACC, different teams you had to go up against. And you guys were playing well. You were playing well. And then you get hurt against Virginia, and you're out for a while. What was going through your mind at that time? Because, again, you guys were, were playing well. You were playing well individually. And now you're sitting and you're watching from the sidelines, and the team struggled without you. Uh, it, it was a difficult time, but but I was hopeful. I had had the same injury in high school and it came back. So I, I missed 12 games at high school and I came back. <clears throat> so I knew it was a possibility to come back. And to, to the credit of, of Alvano's leadership and Sydney and, and Thurl and Ernie Myers coming in and George McClain and, and Terry, those guys stepped up and went through a little, little period. And then they picked it up and they really started to gain some confidence. They, you know, they, they, they persevered. And then I came back and then uh, we'll see, you know, I think the team was better when I came back. So uh, it was, it was a, a pivotal moment being getting hurt, but it's also a pivotal moment how our guys recovered. And I think that's what made it special. Was it difficult for you at all? Again, you, you were playing so well when you were there, then you get injured. As you said, those guys developed, was it one of those instances where you had to find your role back with that team and, and make sure that you melted back in with that team? I never forget my first day of practice. I came back. I was so excited. <clears throat> I was on the second team and I was come back. I was scoring the ball. I was competitive and talking shit and just, you know, I wanted to play so bad. And Valvano pulled me to the side <clears throat> and he said to me, listen, we've adjusted when you were out now you have to adjust to us and i think that was a pivotal conversation <clears throat> and it calmed me down and there was a critical decision made by the staff i found out later that ernie miles was playing so well and they had to make a decision here's a senior do you put me back in the starting lineup that was a pivotal moment and they decided the staff decided you know what we got to start the senior and that was a big decision and you give ernie myers all the credit because for him to play well and him to 
take a backseat again, I thought was tremendous on his character. Today, if that happened, he'd be in the transfer portal, like the next day. But so you got to give credit. But you, you got to give credit to the character of our team. I think there was no jealousy. There was no envy. Everybody understood their roles. Uh, it, it, it was the ultimate chemistry. And uh, and I, I credit a lot of that to uh, Bavano, of course, our leadership, our staff. I, I just, you know, we had the epitome of a team and character and perseverance. We had it. Yeah, it seems like if it's another coach, maybe that doesn't happen. But as you said, you guys revered Jimmy V, and, and, and certainly his decision was taken well, as you said, by, by Ernie Myers as well. And so you go into the ACC tournament, you know that your only chance to get to the next level, to the NCAA tournament, is to win that. And again, you look at your road, Wake Forest, North Carolina, and Virginia. Obviously, you look at one game at a time, but what's going through your mind and the team's mind going into that 1983 ACC tournament? Survive in advance. I mean, it is one a game at a time. <clears throat> and uh, actually, championship run started with the win at Reynolds when we <clears throat> clobbered Wake Forest at home, scoring 130 points senior day, and then have to play Wake Forest again, which is tough. But, you know, we were numb then. Uh, you know, we're coming into that game, we had nothing to lose. Uh has always taught us just <clears throat> keep keep it close and put yourself in position to win. And uh, we did that, and Sydney made a great steal. And Lorenzo made the free throws, and shoot, we stole one against Wake Forest. And uh, then we got to play North Carolina, and that's that's the game. You know, Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, that's the game. Yeah, Wake Forest playing against our rival in the ACC tournament. That was big. Yeah, Wake Forest, you win 71-70. Lorenzo Charles hit one of those two free throws. And then it's an overtime game, right? 91-84, you win against North Carolina. And Worthy, or Perkins rather, almost a chance to, to win that game at the end. You guys survive and advance once again. But as you said, going up against a, a juggernaut in North Carolina, the national champs from a year ago. Well, look what happened. So they missed. If they hit one of those one-on-ones, you might not be talking to me right now. <laughs> If Michael Jordan don't foul out, you might not be talking to me now. If Perkins hits that shot, you might not be talking to me right now. So there were like many chances for North Carolina to win that game. All they had to do is make one play, one free throw, one shot. And so it was something on our side. You got to have some luck too. You can't just be good. You got to get lucky too. And I think we got – we were good and lucky. <clears throat> yeah, did you did you feel like, okay, maybe something special is happening here, but then you've got Virginia, you've got Ralph Sampson, uh, a team that handled you guys pretty good during the regular season. Uh, what are you thinking going up against uh, Big Ralph and, and the Cavaliers again? I don't think we thought. I think that uh, <clears throat> if we would have thought that we lost to <clears throat> Ralph eight times, never beaten Ralph, and – how great a player. We just stuck to the game plan. And after Ralph in the beginning of the game dunked about three times and just was dominated, Val Final said, scrap that, man. We're we we we're gonna put two guys on him. 
<clears throat> and that was the turning point of the game. Yeah, it was a triangle in two. Was that something you guys ever practiced, prepared no, for? No, I was a box in one. Okay. It was two guys strictly. Thurl in front, Cozy on the back, everybody else in the zone. And <clears throat> I think Virginia was baffled. I think Terry Holland uh, and Dave Odom, I think they were baffled. They never seen anything like that. They didn't know what to do. I mean, they, we leaving guys wide open. Like, they were so concentrated on getting the ball into Ralph, they forgot that they could shoot the ball. They, they're wide open. And it worked. But what people don't understand, <clears throat> we had to score too now. <laughs> it wasn't only about defense. We had to score. <clears throat> so Sydney had a great game. Thurl had a great game. You know, I chipped in. A lot of guys chipped in, but we had to score. Back then, there was no hole in the ball. You got you have to score. And so we we scored a lot of points, but our defense is a key by containing Ralph Sampson. Obviously, he was a great player. <clears throat> we had to contain him. Yeah, 81-78, the final score. And, and during this tournament, you kind of started a tradition with Jimmy V. You kept hugging him and picking him up after these, these big wins. Uh, and, and, and you've done that throughout, uh, you know, this run here as well. So you guys, obviously we're talking to you for a lot of reasons, but you and Jimmy V maybe have the biggest bond. I think of, of all those guys on that team. One thing I remember the press conference, he said, I'm going to look at you as a, uh, as a person, a student and a player, and I'm going to have access. You can have access to me anytime in my office. You know, I took him up on it. In between classes, I come by and talk to him about everything but basketball. And talked about education, talked about getting my degree, talked about he read me letters. He read me an interesting letter about a fan, sent a derogatory letter about having an all-black starting five and how he hated that and, and just said a bunch of racist comments. And we talked about that. And I never realized and you probably don't never realize that NC State is the first championship team in the ACC to, uh, that had all black starting five. Nobody talks about that. And and uh, he read that letter to me, and I was I was thrown back. I was shocked, you know, because I you know as a kid you don't even think like that. I mean, I just think we played basketball, but we shared a lot of special moments in that office and talked about a lot of different things and. And, and that's why we had the relationship we had because it was more than just a player-coach relationship. It was uh, like a big brother or father-son relationship. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I've never heard that narrative before. You always hear Texas Western, the first you know, national champion with, with the, an all-black uh, starting five. But in the ACC, yeah, that's, that's a narrative that, that I've never heard of. Yes, it's, uh, it, 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 it's true. And uh, – when we started to get into uh, black history and, and, and looking at the real history across the board, I mean, our folks at NC State don't know that. And so I thought it was interesting to to, to put that out there to make sure that uh, it was history in a lot of ways, not just at NC State, but the overall the ACC. And uh, uh, I, I just thought it would, what, what a milestone being a part of something like that, not just nationally, but historically. Yeah. That this team did more 
and it just been a miraculous championship. It was it was a pioneer and trailblazer in a way, uh, and how we did it and and who we did it with. Yeah, I love that. That's a great part of that story. Again, that you don't often hear, but so your history is still to come. You win that championship. You go to the NCAA tournament. You start out west, Corvallis, Oregon. How difficult was it to go that far away from campus? Was that ever in your guys' minds as you start this run? Man, we were so happy to be in the tournament. We didn't care where we went. You know, it, it, once, once you get in the tournament, it really doesn't matter where you go and who you play against. Because <clears throat> you're going to have to beat a good team no matter where it is. And so we we just – I think we were just numb. We, you know, you beating the number one, number two team in the country – you you feel invincible. You you don't never think you're gonna lose. So it, it, I, I don't care if they sent to us Alaska. We didn't care. We were ready to play anybody, and we just trusted our coach. We we never lacked confidence. We 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 trusted in his game plan. <clears throat> he trusted us. We had ownership in the team. You know, one thing I can say about Valvano that's not true that it's not practice today. Valvano was transparent and he told us the truth and therefore we could trust him. And so it was easy to believe whatever he said. If he told us to run the mountain, we run the mountain. So we was focused only on the process of winning the game. And, and we just wanted to execute. And more importantly, as having an honor to play with some great coaches. We didn't want to disappoint him. We never questioned him. We didn't want to disappoint him. And so that's the ultimate praise for a coach, that you want to play for him and you don't want to disappoint him. And that's the ultimate. Yeah, that, that says a lot about, as you said, him as a coach, but him as a person as well for how hard you want to play for him. And, and, and again, it starts in Corvallis. You start against Pepperdine overtime victory, right? Jim Herrick, the head coach of Pepperdine, uh, 69, 67. So again, survive in advance that continues to come into play here as you guys able to squeak out another win and then move on to play UNLV. Uh, again, what's going through your mind, getting that first win under your belt and, and kind of keeping the train moving for you guys. Once again, we're numb, you know, we go into an overtime game without Sidney Lowe. This is the first time I've ever played without Sidney Lowe. That's we that was weird for me. Then little George McLean comes in, does a great job. <coughs> and uh couldn't believe that uh we won a game without Sidney Lowe. Then we go to the uh you know the Elf game that we know they were a great team, but you gotta remember we played against the number one team that year about probably seven times. We played against Duke in North Carolina, so <clears throat> we weren't intimidated by it. We respected everybody, but we weren't intimidated by anybody. But Sid Green and and, and Tarkanian had great teams, and we knew that. But we just felt like if we hang in there, we could find a way to win the game, and we did. <laughs> I mean, we just we didn't play particularly great, but that's what happens in a tournament. Sometimes it's a weird setting in a tournament. Here you go, you got. UNLV probably they're out west, so it's probably more fans. They're fans out there, and the place is quiet. Nobody knows who to root for at the time, and then 
Sometimes they get behind the underdog, and sometimes you don't play that way. You don't shoot that well. It's a neutral court, and you just got to find a way to win, and we did. Thurl hits that big bucket at the end, and, uh, uh, you know, we we survive in advance again. <laughs> yeah, 71-70, as you said, Sidney Green, the outstanding player for, for UNLV. He would go on to in the NBA, but also go on to be a coach as well. And then it was Utah in the Sweet 16, and then you beat them 75-56. Easy win over the Utes, but then next up is Virginia once again. Another meeting with Ralph Sampson and the Cavaliers to get to that Final Four. So, again, you still numb, or, or what are you thinking about, man, we got to go through Ralph Sampson again? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a scary one. Uh, thought Ralph would be mad and ready for revenge. <coughs> he, hadn't, he hadn't been to the Final Four. So we're we're thinking that once again it's the Ralph Sampson game plan. But this time we were out in front and 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 stuck in the game early. They took a lead late, but we had got some momentum. <laughs> and I was basically cooking Othell Wilson in the second half, cooking him like you know, I was cooking him like hot grease. I was Killing him so bad. Uh, v, call me another play. <coughs> I guess out there, Wilson. But uh, we came back. But that's the genius of Alvano again. Tie score. Some unconventional. He fouled Othell Wilson. Yeah. Put him on the line. And <laughs> he misses one. And we come down. <clears throat> Renzo Charles makes two more. And we sneak out a win. Yeah, Lorenzo just said, you know, earlier in the ACC, free throws a difference in Wake Forest. His two free throws here, the difference uh, of this game against Virginia. So you go into the Final Four. Again, I'm sure you watched that with your, your cousin's run, David Thompson, years earlier, 1974. But now you're going to the Final Four. What kind of celebration was it uh, on the court? And what kind of moment did you and uh, Jimmy V have after that one? We kid back to Reynolds. And we're practicing, and it's 5,000 people in the arena. And I, I pulled V to the side with scrimmaging. I said, what the heck is this, man? <laughs> we didn't get there with 5,000 people practicing. You know, he puts his arm around me and said, just enjoy it. <clears throat> just enjoy it. Because V wasn't that way. He wasn't, like, going to have a, you know, a closed practice. If the fans want to come and watch <clears> – <throat> We go to the final four, let him come in. And that was the genius of him. Any other coach would have had a closed practice and focus. He he wanted to have fun. And so, you know what? It 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 it, it relaxed us, right? Yeah. And, and that's what we did. And, and we embraced the fans. I, I bet you nobody today, I bet you Carolina Duke, they bet they had closed practices. I bet you they didn't have people in their practice while we have 5,000 people watching us and cheering. We made baskets and stuff here. We had practice. Well, battle just said, let's enjoy it. You know, well, in a way you guys shouldn't have been there. Is that a little bit of the approach as well that, Hey, you know, we're, we're happy to be here. Let, let's enjoy it as well. No, we're not happy to be here right. because our ultimate goal was to win the national championship. <clears throat> so we thought we belonged there. And that was a difference. And Valvano talked about it all the time. So we never had this thought like, oh, we happy to be here. No, 
this is what he talked about. We, we golly, this is, he talked about being here. So we here, we got a chance, you know? It's not like we lucky to be here. We are a pretty good team now. And we do have some pretty good players. I mean, we're not we're not slouches now. So yeah. I think I think that our mindset was we want to win this thing, you know, and, and we got a chance. We got two games. Let's do it. You go to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where the final four is at the pit, and your first up was uh, was Georgia. What's the approach getting ready to take on the Bulldogs? Uh, didn't know much about Georgia. They had upset North Carolina. <clears throat> Thought we might play North Carolina. Though they had a good team with the uh, the the uh, Vern Fleming and the and the, and the two uh, Fleming brothers, and uh, they were good for Mount Vernon. And uh, we kind of handled that game pretty good. We we beat them pretty good, and so that was the first game that we really played well and beat somebody handily. So, uh, uh, but uh, we knew they were a good team. We just we just outplayed them. Yeah, 67-60 was the final score of that one. <clears throat> that was like a blowout. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a blowout. But uh, the the scary part was watching the, the Houston-Louisville uh, game the next day and looking at the athleticism, man. <clears throat> Not that we was uh, fear, but there was some cause for some concern <laughs> with all those athletes running around. Now, earlier in the year, we had played uh, Louisville in Freedom Hall and lost in a close game. And so uh, watching that game, we knew what Louisville was like, but Houston has some tremendous athletes. And uh, that was a game to see. Yeah, Houston, obviously, uh, five slamma jamma with all their athletes that they have. Uh, go ahead, you got to take a moment there. Get... Just a one moment. Sure, sure. <laughs> all right, <I'm> good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's the win over Georgia, and again, it sets up the the matchup with Houston five slamma jamma. You got Clyde Drexler, Hakeem Olajuwon, so maybe more weapons than than Virginia had. So you couldn't have maybe that same defensive mentality. What was the defensive mentality to try to shut them down uh, a team that, you know, again, can, can run and, and get up and down the floor and, and score a lot of points in the Houston Cougars. Well, Michael Young, Val Battle thought was the key. He's a six, eight shooter and, you know, nothing you could do with Elijah one. It, it was different than Ralph. I don't think Houston, look to throw the ball into a large one as much as Virginia did Ralph. So we didn't kind of worry about a large one as much as Michael Young. Michael Young was 6'8", left-handed, really could score. You know, Clyde Drexler, we played zone. Uh, We kind of kept Clyde in front of us, but we just controlled the pace of the game and kept it a slowdown game. And I think that's what threw them off because they were used to getting out on the break and blocking shot, but we we were methodical. We made it a half court game, and it really uh, threw them off a little bit. And they didn't know how to deal with us. We we were a little odd to them, you know. They were used to going against six, seven, six, eight athletic guys, and uh, one thing they didn't uh, realize that the three little munchkins, you know, Sydney, myself, and Terry Gannon. 
we can make some shots every now and then if you leave us open. So uh, we took advantage of that in the second half. Yeah, it was a low-scoring game in the 50s. Again, you guys showed that you could score a lot of points as you had to do against Virginia in the ACC tournament, but was that a change in style for you as well because of the opponent you were playing? No, I just think that we didn't make shots. Nobody were making shots, you know. <clears throat> they didn't shoot the ball outside. They they wanted to drive to the basket. And then we played zone. <clears throat> it kind of slowed them down. They couldn't really get to the basket. So we tried to force them to shoot the ball. But they if you watch the game, they didn't take many outside shots. We took all the outside shots. I think Michael Young took a, cu- a couple – Drexler took a couple, but they were not an outside shooting team. They were a team that liked to pound the ball in and, and get some dunks, and that's the kind of team they were. You said earlier, you know, you, you would trash talk a little bit on the court. Were you trash talking there? Could you could you hear and see them getting frustrated the way you guys were playing them? Yeah, I think the four foul with Drexler was yeah. was big. <clears throat> you know, when he went out, it kind of took the sales out of him a little bit, yeah. and. The team was way different uh, without Drexler in there. If he <clears throat> is in the second half a lot more, then it may be a different game. Uh, and uh, if they would ISO a little bit more, it could have been a different game. Uh, but I think our zone slowed them down. And then when they started to take some, <clears throat> some outside shots, long outside shots, if you get the rebound, leads to fast breaks especially if you shoot shots from the corner. And that's how if you shoot a shot from the corner, you miss it's automatic fast break because everybody's flattened out. And so we got a lot of stuff we practiced in transition. So you remember a lot of the shots that I got in Terry and Sydney, they were in transition. That's the best time to get an open shot. And so we took advantage of that. And that them scrambling back, they never got back uh, in transition. And uh, we, we had to make shots. So the game is tied at 52. As a lot of folks know, 44 seconds left, timeout there. What, what's what's being said during the timeout? What's Jimmy V telling you guys at that point? We're going to run the five play. The five play is a uh, isolation double stack. Uh, we run somebody, Thurl Bailey and myself stacked on the right. Kozel McQueen and Lorenzo Charles are stacked on the left. Sydney's in the middle. We run Thurl over to the left side off a double screen to shoot that little baseline shot. And then I have the whole floor, either a one-on-one opportunity or throw a lob, but most of the time it's a one-on-one opportunity, me on the right side with the floor isolated. And guess what? We break the huddle. They're in a one-three-one trap. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> what do we do now? You know, what do we do now? And so, uh, we just practice what we practice, time and score. Take the last shot, pass the ball around, and then pass to Lorenzo Charles, and he <laughs> it. So, so it's been 39 years. That, that's a pass, right? 39 years you've been telling 30, people that's a pass? 39 years is still a pass. <laughs> yeah, you saw Bailey in the corner, so you got the ball in the corner to him, but he passed that shot up, and then the pass to you – Boy, that was a dangerous one, wasn't it? It was almost stolen. Yeah, dangerous pass. But Sydney hit Thurl thinking he's going to shoot. And yeah. I don't think 
<clears throat> Thurl didn't make a basket in the second half. You can see that. So I was the only outlet. If he if he throws it all the way across to Terry Gannon, Clyde Drexler is going to take the ball down and dunk it, and the game's going to be over. So uh, I actually, <clears throat> when I interviewed and I said, "Poor fundamental play by Thurl. It was a joke." <laughs> you know, I didn't know they was going to put that line in there. And I think Thurl didn't really like that a little bit. I mean, he 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 went with it, but he he didn't understand it was a joke. But I didn't know they was gonna put that line in there. But it was a poor fundamental play. <laughs> yeah, but not, not the high quality pass there for the corner with the defender there. So again, he dunks it. Lorenzo Charles dunks it at the end. Uh, I mean, if it's 2022, that's under review for for quite some time. Did you ever think that that was not a good shot, or did you guys know right away? Uh, you just got to make a play with time and score. You know what? You just got to make a play. Uh, you can't hold the ball, whether it's tie score down one or whatever. You just can't, you got to make a play at the basket. So that's a part of teaching time and score <clears throat> that you got to make a play at the basket. The iconic shot of Jimmy V running around, wait for somebody to hug. It was you. He was looking for a hug because you started that tradition in the ACC tournament. Is that right? He looking for me for nine, ten games straight. He's looking for me. I don't know what made me do it. Uh, I love that man so much. And uh, that's something you do from the heart. Nobody tells you to do that. But uh, I love that man because he really enjoyed his life. He believed in us. He cared about people. And uh, I just wanted to show him that, hey, man, we, we won this for this is what you wanted. And this is what you wanted for us. <clears throat> and we, we did it. We did it for you. Well, and, and he was practicing and you guys are practicing it for that for a long time. Tell me about cutting down the nets in practice. And, and the first time you were told you were going to do that, because every case brought that to the ACC. He came from Indiana. They used to do it there when he took over and he kind of started the ACC tournament. See, I watched your, your documentary that you were an executive producer on. Um, but what was it like when you when Jimmy V said, okay, we're going to practice cutting down the nets? A coach, a guy that came from New York and Long Island, came to NC State and embraced the history of NC State. Who would have thought that a coach that came to NC State in 1946, that Valvano would embrace the tradition of cutting down the nets? That goes to show you that this man had a vision, that this is where he wanted to be, and he respected and cherished the history of NC State basketball. And so it's a credit to his homework and details of why he was at NC State. This is why he wanted to be there because of the tradition of NC State. And so they can't take that away from him. This is where Jim Valvano wanted to be. And he wanted to be a part of this history. In order to be a part of that, you have to embrace what has been done before you. And so by him using that to motivate us, is one of the biggest reasons why we won it because he embraced the history. And back in those days too, it wasn't uh, you, you're not getting on a ladder, right? Your your teammates are hoisting you up to cut. Oh down yeah, down. oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it's a real deal. We practice it. It's a real deal. And actually, 
I practiced the same thing when I took my Wagner team to the championship uh, in Staten Island, and we won a 23. So how about this? So in 2013, <clears throat> I, I, I produced Survive in Advance. Mm-hmm. Which is great. I just watched it again the other day. Worth every minute of watching that if you're a, not just an NC State fan, but a college basketball fan. 2013. In 2003, the Wagner team wins the first NCAA championship. In 2003, that's 10 years later. Incredible stuff, right? Yeah. And then we, and, 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 uh, and now we get ready to embark upon 40 years, 20 years I won a championship at, uh, at Wagner. The film, we're going to celebrate 10 years of surviving advance, and we're going to celebrate 40 years of our championship. People are still talking about it 40 years later. That is incredible. I never would imagine that. Where do you think that game stands in the NCAA tournament? Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about Michigan State, Indiana State, Bird, and, and, and Magic Johnson. Obviously, you've got a big one, North Carolina and Duke. Never met in the NCAA tournament, but they are in the Final Four. Where does 83 stand? They cannot. This is a Hollywood script. <clears throat> this, this is a Hollywood script. You cannot imagine the story of NC State. You cannot. There's no other story that can duplicate that. There are great, great, great games. It's not like people don't expect Duke and Carolina to be in the Final Four. They had no idea to expect us to be there. And then the way we won every nine straight games, there's, there's no duplicate. The only team that had a chance to do it was St. Peter's this year. Yeah. That was the only team that had a run that was very similar to us. What Shaheem Holloway did at St. Peter's is incredible because St. Peter's has no business being there, but he did an outstanding job. And I watched his comments after every game. Well, we're not done yet. Our kids believe. <clears throat> and here's the difference. Kelvin Sampson, our kids, our program, our history, our kids, our program, our history. That's what it's about. You know, it's about the players. It's about that journey. So special journey. <clears throat> I don't want to keep talking about our 83 team. I want to talk about some some current NC State stuff, you know? Well, but, I, I, I want to talk about your, your coaching career because, again, your, your playing career was outstanding. You win the championship there, and eventually you become a coach yourself. As you said, you had some, some good success at Wagner as well. How much of your coaching was Jimmy V? How much was it Morgan Wooten? How much was it just, you know, things that you saw along the way that you put into your coaching? I worked and played for six Hall of Fame coaches. So, Gail Catlin in West Virginia, Bobby Cremens, Morgan Wooten, Joe Harrington, all the coaches that I coached and played with were in their prospective Hall of Fames and its success in their own rights. I put my pedigree of coaching up to anybody out there, anybody. First coach in the Hall of Fame, Morgan Wooten. Hall of Fame, Jimmy Valvano, Gail Catlett, Bobby Crimmins, Joe Harrington. I'll I put it up against anybody. 
because what I learned from those men is invaluable. And today you don't get the opportunity. You might get to work for uh, Coach K or Tom Izzo. Uh, you get to work with uh, uh, Dean Smith, all the other great coaches. But the couple with, with the, one of the best high school coaches, one of the best college coaches, two of the best college coaches, three of the best college coaches, you can't say that I, I don't have a grasp on this game. I might not know everything, <laughs> but I've got a pretty good grasp on this game. i got some stuff to reach back and some knowledge to grab to be as best coach I, I can be. And, and the thing about those men is that, like, when you go to school, you could be either trained or educated. So those men not only trained me on to be an assistant coach and a player, but they educated me about the game and about people and about how to lead people and how to drive people. So it's unfortunate that a lot of coaches don't get that, right? A lot of CEOs don't get it. You get a position, but that don't mean you know how to lead anybody, right? Because you don't learn the intangible. Nobody teaches you how to lead. You get CEO, you get president, but nobody says, how do I lead people? How do I empower people? How do I move people? If you haven't been involved on a team, it's hard to grasp that concept. It's hard to know what to do. It's hard. Leadership is about serving, and that's what those men taught me, is about character and serving as a leader. Well, and again, you did a great job as a coach. You were the NEC Coach of the Year back in 2003, as you mentioned. You won the championship there, went to the NCAA tournament, took your talents to, to Fordham, and uh, Fordham's just a tough job, right? I mean, you, you had some success there, but that, that was a tough job for – and it still is a tough job, I think, right now. We won 18 games in 10 games in the league. They haven't come close. And like yeah. I said, they haven't come close. And all my kids graduated. Nobody got in trouble. Nobody talks about that anymore. And White the Collins, we had 3.0 GPA for four straight years. Six guys in the diesel. Nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, do we? Is this a college atmosphere? Do we have student athletes, or they just come to play sports? So the things that we accomplish in those schools, my staff and my players, who my players still call me today, they got families, they're coaching. <clears throat> those were the things I took from Morgan and Valvado to teach my players and their kids about not just being successful in the court, but being successful in life. And again, as you said, 20 years after you cut down the nets, you're able to do it as the head coach of Wagner. Was it a similar feeling? Was it a time that kind of brought you back to, to 1983 as the head coach of the Seahawks back then? Absolutely. We wanted to do something. I went to Wagner to do something that nobody else did. That's going to the NCAA tournament. That's why I took that job. I knew it was difficult, but I wanted to do something that hadn't been done before. And that so happens I'm the first African-American coach to win a championship at Wagner. I didn't even think about that. But I wanted to go there to win the championship. And more importantly, that I loved about Dr. Smith and Dr. Garassi and Walt Hamline, my AD, they believed in me. They believed in who I was and what I was teaching and what I stood for. <clears throat> and then I said, I will put a program together 
that you will be proud of on and off the court. I'm not concerned about winning. I know we're going to win. But my kids are going to behave the right way. They're going to do the right things in class. And I'm not going to compromise for sports. We're going to do the right thing in all areas. And that's what I respected about those men. Dr. Smith, my president from Canada, knew nothing about basketball. Dr. Karasi, who came from Fordham, and my AD, Walt Hamline, in which I still <coughs> have a relationship with all those men because of the relation, because what we, we accomplished together, I think that's what makes it special. Yeah, it seems like uh, throughout your life, relationships in sports and what it carries over to life is is great. And you've done a great job now, executive producer, as we said, with Survive in Advance, all about the 1983 team, but executive producer as well on the 10-part series about the ACC tournament, which I thought was outstanding. Uh, what do you enjoy about that role of what you're doing now? And, you know, again, having a chance to watch those episodes, obviously it's it's great history of not just the ACC, but really college basketball when you when you look at it. I never really realized the impact until the new commissioner ACC <clears throat> came up to me and said, I appreciate what you have done for the ACC and NC State. And I went, wow, here's the new commissioner of the ACC that I don't know him. He doesn't know me, but he when he watched that film, he felt compelled to tell me how he felt about my role in that. And then I, I just enjoy so much the relationships that I had with all the other players in the other programs in, in the ACC. Because without them, that film was not possible. You got to work with Carolina guys, Duke guys, Clemson guys. You got to work with them all. So I have a communication and relationship because regardless of what you say about the ACC, it's still a brotherhood. Now, we might do guys, may not like Carolina guys and Carolina guys, state guys. We get that. But aside from that, it's still a special brotherhood to play in one of the best leagues in the, in the country, in the world. It's a privilege. So we, we have that special bond. And so that's what made that film very, very special. And, and the relationships that we have through that, right? There's a lot of respect. You know, for what Charlie Scott went through and Al Hartley went through and Bob Wade went through and Evan Case and Bones McKinney and Eddie Beat, but you all these guys in the 50s and 60s, what they went through and how they built the league, that makes you feel more humbled and more special about being a part of it. And you mentioned it's a brotherhood. It, it was surprising a little bit to me. You know, I pride myself on being a college basketball fan in the ACC here. You, you see the guys that played for one school, and then they coach another school within that ACC. So they kind of kept it within that brotherhood. And, and so many great coaches in the league were great players before that as well. Absolutely. And the one thing they talk about the most, <clears throat> especially the championship coaches, is that their relationships with the players, and their relationship with their coaches. That's a special thing to share. You know, you spend a lot of time with your teammates in four years. You spend a lot of time in a year with your coach and, and your teammates. 
So that was the special thing about doing that project. You know, Jonathan Hawkins like a brother to me, and Larry and Dave and all the and all the producers. They 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 are fantastic. I trust them to the hilt. It was a hard film to do. It started off as a six part series, uh, and and they just decided. Uh, John Dahl, ESPN exec, just decided we got to do a 10 part. It's too much great stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to cover 67 ACC tournaments and every MVP and every team. So you had to do storylines. And, and I just think, uh, you know, collectively, those guys did an outstanding, outstanding job. And, uh, and it's more to be told. It's yeah. more to be told. I'm sure there's enough content for 20 episodes, but uh, again, if, if, if you're watching this and, and you didn't watch that, definitely check it out. I mean, 10 episodes, I, I was glued to it. Uh, just so educational a, a, as well. Again, you think, you know, the ACC, but I, I never realized every case was a guy who brought cutting the nets down, you know, to, to a widespread audience here. So, so that being said, watching the history in this documentary of the ACC college basketball as well, what, what's your take now in 2022 of the game, where it stands right now and, 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 you know, where maybe this is taking us in the future. Wow. Still a great league. Uh, there's going to be a changing of the guard, you know, retirement of Kay and Roy and you know, some other coaches down the road, Leonard Hamilton, not going to coach forever. You know, you know, it's going to be a changing of the guard and, but it's still a special league, special schools, Special institutions is still the great greatest league bias in, in the country overall, and uh, uh, I'm just excited to see the future of it. It's going to be great watching the newcomers come up and uh, make their marks. I think it's going to be great. You're still obviously involved with it beyond that documentary. You still work at NC State. What's what's your role there now? And and you know what what do you do there for the Wolfpack? Well, uh, when I started here in 2015, was mainly dealing with a lot of students and uh, community work and recruitment, uh, getting former students' life back to school. Uh, since the pandemic, I obviously changed roles of being more involved in fundraising. But uh, there's a variety of things I do uh, behind the scenes that people don't even imagine. Visiting uh, patients at uh, hospice and uh, reaching out to our fans and, and and spending time with our donors and having conversations with our coaches because I was a coach and and so some of our coaches reach out to me and talk about particular things so my role may say one thing my my, my role is really many things and uh, uh, I just feel humbled and grateful to have an opportunity to come back and really give back uh, uh, to what has given me so much. This has been wonderful, a mutual relationship that's continued to work. And uh, I want to help the younger, the, the, the current student athletes to maximize this experience and not let this just be, uh, be a trained exercise, but an educated exercise, meaning let's experience the total value of your, uh, what you're going to experience here at NC State and what you're going to take from this and be successful later on in life. You said earlier you can never have 
imagine or didn't think you were going to go to anywhere but NC State when you were getting recruited by Norm Sloan back there in the, the 70s. Could you have imagined, you know, you're tied to that university all these years later and, and what you mean to NC State as well? I don't know if sometimes NC State know what, what I mean to them is what they mean to me. And what I mean by that is the relationships through this journey that I've happened to, to be a part of. I'm talking about guys that went to school to me and former players and alumni and donors and, and administrators, my registrar, the late Joanne Bird, uh, Dr. Dr. Joe Brown. I mean, I can go through and recant 20 different uh, administrators and teachers, Dr. Hyman, uh, Dr. Willisroad, uh, Wandra Hill. I can go by all the people who impact me across the board at NC State. So I like to celebrate the the people that really touch me. And I want to show the current students that how they are helping you as well and that and where that's going to take you later on. Look, 99% of you are not going to go to the pros and may not ever play your sport. But that don't mean you can, can't be successful in life. And that's the message I'm always going to send. I'm concerned about the 99% and not the 1%. Well, you've certainly been successful. As you mentioned, next year's 40 years since that national championship run. Will there be something special for, for you, for, well, for your teammates, and, and getting together to celebrate that? Absolutely. It's going to be 30 years of the V Foundation celebration and 40 years uh, of the uh, Jimmy V, 50 years of Title IX, 20 years of the Wagner Championship. There's a lot to celebrate. <laughs> so I'm going to tell the story. Hopefully my book can tell all the story, but I'm going to tell the story. Well, and it started in 83. Again, every every three has a, a meaningful you know a result, it seems like, in your life. That's crazy how that's worked out. Absolutely. And uh want to share, I think it's important for us, just like your podcast, to give people information about uh, all that in our journeys, all of our journeys, right? The great run that Wilmington had this year. Yeah. How about that? That's historic. I was at the first win when Wilmington won, beat Delaware this year. Yep. <clears throat> How special was that? Happy for Siddle. He's a great kid. Future's bright for him, and uh, happy for those guys. Uh, tremendous season, and uh, I wish them so much uh, success in the future because they have done an outstanding job. That's their journey, right? That's part of their journey, and something those kids can talk about for years, and I'm uh, happy for those guys. Well, we're, we're happy to have you with us as a guest today and share your journey with us. This is what this podcast is all about. Again, you, you you read some of it, but to hear the insight. And again, my takeaway is just your love for Jimmy V and, and what it means to you to play for a coach like that. Like you said, maybe you don't see that all the time, but but certainly you guys had that. Uh, and, and there's a reason why you guys were cutting down the nets back in 1983. Absolutely. And the word family and love. Today, they use culture. Today we use back then we use family and we use love. And that's what we were built on. And I'm gonna take that to my grave. 
Derek, can't thank you enough for joining us here today. Great to hear that story and uh, wish you the best of success. Is there, are you on social media? Is there a way that, that folks can follow you? If yeah, you're an yeah. State I'm, fan or I'm not? On Instagram, uh, DW Wit1986 tw on Twitter. <coughs> uh, just hit me on the ground. Just hit me on the ground. <laughs> All right. Wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us here today. All right. Thank you. Wow, great stories there from one of the best in NC State basketball history, Derek Wittenberg, cutting down the nets back in 1983, part of the Cardiac Pack. My thanks to Hunter Henderson for helping hook me up with him and also Brock B for that footage that you saw of that winning shot from Lorenzo Charles on the pass from Derek Wittenberg. We thank you for joining us here today. Again, like and subscribe as we'll have more great guests coming up and more journeys to tell us here throughout our journey in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.